0: that we were too busy in this phase of life to truly get involved in community life at church. And then a year ago, my Jaden said, Mom, I need better Christian community. Youth group had had to shut down back then. Caleb was just stepping in and getting his awesome thing rolling. And so I said, all right, let's do something. And so we invited seven other families to start meeting in our backyard. It turned into... A connect group and a year later I can tell you they're my people they're my people that I can call with prayer requests they're my people who showed up Friday night at Levi's football game they're my people that I meet with that I dig in the word with that I seek the Lord with and I want you to have your people your people who spur you on for love spur you on for good deeds and so we're actually gonna have kind of like a fall launch for connect groups and that's gonna be next Sunday after both services. You can meet all of the connect group leaders. You can figure out what time, what location is right for you, but find your people. The Lord tells us, first, not to give up our hope, and second, not to stop meeting together. So I hope you will make the priority. Don't be like me and wait for years to decide you have time. Make the priority. To have community be a bigger part of your life, the Lord works in huge ways when we allow others to walk life beside us. So that will take place next Sunday after both services. Then, having community as a big group next Sunday night, we're going to have family dinner. And we're gonna start moving family dinner away from what it's needed to be this year, which is a lot of just letting us get back together. And we're going to start moving it toward its original intention, which is more like a family meeting, like you would have around the dinner table growing up when mom and dad were like, we need to talk about some things. We need to let you know some things. And so family dinner is going to take place next Sunday evening. Everybody brings their own meal. So it's super easy, super laid back, show up, we're going to eat together, and then we'll hear from the the elders and the pastors about what exactly are the details of things coming up that we want you to know about in the life of Cobblestone. So lots of things going on on the church calendar. Next weekend, Saturday's the Converge workshop, Sunday morning is the Connect Group's sign-up, and then Sunday evening is the family dinner. Um, and then just one final thing, encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. I am sure this week you heard about the new mask mandate or the revived i don't know what would be the right word mask man- mandate in the city of oxford there is a religious exemption which i'm assuming you all are fully aware of as i see lots of faces on masks there is a religious exemption from that uh, and so the elders have been meeting and praying and trying to decide how they want to move forward with this new mandate in place and i was talking with one of the elders this morning and i think the bottom line of where they're at is they want to honor the Lord, they want to honor the area we live in, and they want to honor all of us. And we're in lots of different opinions right now on the mask. So our goal is spurring one another on to love, which means starting next week so that we can just create that space to better spur one another on to love, not because the mandate requires, but to go beyond that. During 9 a.m., we will ask for masks during 1030, we will not ask you for masks. That's up to you, that's your decision. But at nine o'clock starting next week, as a way to honor and love and create that space for those who feel right now like they need to wear masks, next week we will start asking for masks during first service. So I love the fact that the Lord reminds us that our whole job, no. That one of the reasons we don't neglect getting together So we love better. And there's lots going on in the life of the church that will help us do that. I hope you can make some of those priorities in the midst of your busy schedule to do just that. Thank you for being here today.
1: The book of Ezekiel was written by the prophet Ezekiel between 593 and 565 BC, addressing the nation of Israel during their exile in Babylon. Ezekiel is a captive living in Babylon when God's glory appears to him and raises him up as a prophet. Speaking on behalf of God, Ezekiel calls out Israel for breaking their covenant promise and warns them of the resulting consequences. He likens Israel to a rebellious wife, one whom God raised up from nothing and in return whored herself into corruption and idolatry, abandoning the love and provision of the Lord. Looking past their current exile, Ezekiel prophesied a valley scattered with dry, brittle skeletons, an image of Israel's spiritual state. God breathes life into the bones and they stand up, growing flesh and tendons and living once again. As depicted in Ezekiel's parable, God will remain faithful to his covenant promise and restore the Jewish nation into a new people with new hearts set apart for his glory.
2: Hello whoa, that's hot. How are you? You guys good? At 9 a.m., you look a little skimpy, but that's okay. Um, I will say this, and it's, it's kind of a weighty question. If you planned to meet God in the next, in 20 minutes time, God was going to show up, what would change about your life? Or what would you have said, man, I really wish this past week would not have been spent, filling the blank, If you knew 100% the glory, majesty, the fullness of God, he was going to show up, and he was going to be like, Bill, and you're going to be like, yes, Lord, what would you wish your life was dedicated to? What would you have wished you would have prayed? What would you have wished you would have focused on? And I ask all these questions because there's there's this kind of fight in Christianity between, like, uh, do, I, do I ask God to see him or do I just stare and I look at what other people have seen and we're going to look at what another man of God has seen in Ezekiel today and it's weird, man, like, but I love it. Normally when we say, what's God look like? Fill in the blank. What's God look like? When you meet him, what's he going to look like? And if I go by like the pictures on some of our walls, these white flowing hair, beautiful man with blue eyes. That is very far from what Jesus probably looked like and nothing like what God looks like. And how do I say that? If you go to Revelation chapter 4, which is where everybody goes, you're like, what's God like on his throne? Go read Rev-, Rev. four, Revelation 4, and you'll be like, that's what he's like? The second place you can find that I go to a lot is Ezekiel chapter 1, where God is going to show Ezekiel what he looks like. And it, it's different, it's other, it changes his life, it calls him, it commissions him, and I've really been praying that that's what would happen today. That we as a church would allow the Holy Spirit to show our hearts what God looks like. Every great missionary movement, every called or sent woman or man of God that I've ever met started with a moment when they, they saw God. And I'm not talking visions, I'm not talking in reality, I'm talking like God opened up their heart and they went, wow. He's beautiful. He's worth my life. Names like Jim Elliott, if you know that name, started with God's worth everything. If that thing keeps flashing, just turn off the center screen, tech team. Um, what I love to do is, is really just set this table uh, for something I feel like God, God wants today to be different. And you're like, oh boy. <laughs> when Andrew starts talking about different, things get weird. It's not weird at all. I, I think the church as a whole is supposed to be different. Like, you and I are supposed to be the weird ones out there. The people that live for a different calling, a different country, a different heavenly place. That's us. And I just want to pray one thing before I talk anymore, and then I'll explain the, the different thing that I'm going to do here in a second. Uh, I just want Can you pray one thing with me today? God, whatever you want to do. That's all I'm asking. You would say to God, God, whatever you want. I will do it. Scary prayer. I know some of you are like, that's not scary at all. You obviously haven't met the God of Ezekiel 1. Okay? So I I, I like to sit. I'm just going to sit, and I'm going to ask you to kind of join me in prayer. If you've been in church long enough, typically we we pray as a transition. But this ain't a transition. I would actually rather talk to him than you. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. (laughs) So can you just like get, where, like bow your head, you can lay down, I don't care. Uh, just kind of posture your heart to say, God, we're gathered in your name. So Lord, we do, like the name of Jesus is the name we exalt over every condition, soul, person in this room. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And so we, we bow our hearts to you. Every demon of hell, bows at that name every disease bows at that name all of heaven and earth is under that name so Jesus you know my heart I don't want to talk about you without talking to you and we are your people that get to talk to you get to talk with you so on this Sunday morning make it what you want I pray it for us as a body, but as individuals right now, even under our breasts, Lord, we say you can do whatever you want. And I thank you, Lord, that there's probably people in here that haven't been in church a long time. And there's probably people that have been here most of their life. But I pray that this would become a holy moment. You are everywhere, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up the eyes of our hearts that we might realize and be made aware of how close you are, how real you are, how present you are. So would you just do me a favor, forget about me for a second, forget about who you came with, forget about what happened this week, and just set your heart on God. And if you know him, Would you just get lost in a conversation with him? That's why we gathered, is it not? Talk to God. Pour your heart out to the Lord. Yeah, Lord, make us this people that just delight to sit. To be with you, I have everything I need. You are our soul's delight. You are the Savior of our, like, you saved us. And not by our own work, but by your work on the cross. We rejoice in that this morning. And I pray you would do exceedingly abundantly more than I've even thought or imagined. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So get a Bible open. Go to Ezekiel chapter one. This is the different thing. And, and it's, I, like I said, it's not weird. Typically what we do is we preach. I'm supposed to preach 30 minutes. I usually preach 45. So that's just how I do. But, uh, and then I tell everybody, I'll preach 30, but then I go 45. Today, I'm really just this compelled to this one thought. And all week long, this is what I felt like the Lord led me to do. He's like, just read my word and let it sit. Read my word. Let it be what it is. Let it sit. And I'm like, no explanation. And every time I sat down, I was like, I'm going to write a sermon today. Literally, the Lord was like, what would I tell you? Read the word, let it sit. And I'm like, I fight that because really we've built a culture where we never just read it. It always has to be with some profound explanation. You always have to have the guy with the teaching gift say some clever thing so you can be like, oh, that's good. And then you, you tweet that thing. We, you know what I mean? But when we gather as the people of God, we say that we have the word of God. So why would you want to listen to me talk? On top of that, convicting to me, and I think convicting to some of us, many of us in this room, and I think most of you probably listen to sermons, podcasts, Christian radio shows and all that stuff, you have enough teaching in you to last the rest of your life. We have enough teaching, we're just not doing it. And that convicts me. Because I'm like... I'm like, we're like glutting ourselves on good teaching and Bible, but we're not living it. And I want to live Ezekiel one today. And you're like, what do you mean if you know Ezekiel one? What I mean is the word is sufficient. So as we read what Ezekiel wrote, why did he write that down? Because the spirit of God compelled him to put pen to paper or papyrus, whatever, and write down what God had done. And God is still speaking through it when we read it now, not even 2,000, longer than that years. And I think it, it actually demands some things as we read today. It's going to demand some repentance. If you see what God's like, you'll realize how sinful you are, and you'll be like, you give, please forgive me, I repent. If you see how good God is, you'll worship, which Ezekiel will do, and we must do. And then you'll also, I believe, reorganize your life's focus. Seeing what God is like makes you go, I don't want to live for anything less than that. And so that's the question. Like I said when I started here, 20 minutes from now, God shows up. Are you changing anything? And if your answer is, yeah, I think I should change, why don't we do that today? Why don't we refocus today? Why do we not just keep getting taught so many things, and I want to elevate the view of God in here, and and really, with the context of Ezekiel, I could tell you when it was written and why it was written, but basically, he's an exile. He's an exile, he's an ex-priest, because to be a priest, you have to have a temple, and they don't have one. And he's sitting there with the exiles along a river, and not even doing it, he's not like he's praying to the West. It's not like he's begging God for revelation. God just all of a sudden is like, I'm going to show you what I'm like. And God does what he does. And I'll say this, just a word about visions. All right. And I mean, literally visions, trances, things being shown to you in the spirit by God. And this is going to ruffle some of you. They still happen today. They really do. And you're like, really tell me more. If you read stories coming out of the Muslim world today, thousands upon thousands of muslims are having a vision of a man in white you can go there right now and see a billboard in iran or iraq that has have you seen the man in white with a phone number because jesus is showing up to them in visions in dreams because if men can't go cuz they'll get killed the spirit can't be stopped and so you have you have ezekiel have a vision you have Ezekiel, you'll see a thing in his heart, in his spirit, in his mind. I don't think he's sitting there in a trance like Paul did in Acts. But I do think we can ask the Lord to show us in our hearts, what are you like? I want to see you. And I know some of you don't like that. Some of you are like, what? this is ultimately what I mean. I've asked the Lord to give us today a vision of him. And now let me clarify because I don't need the emails. I'm going to ask the Lord to give you a trance. I don't think you can even make it happen, but I think what you can say is, God, I want my biggest treasure in my heart and in my life to be who you are, and there is a moment when reading the Word of God that every theologian agrees on, and it's called illumination. So, some of you have read this like a textbook. I've read this like a textbook in my life, and you know the facts, and you could tell me in this BC,
0: Ezekiel wrote this at the Kamar River.
2: That's great. I love those facts. I know those facts. I tell you every week, read the front half of books, the part where it says who wrote it and why they wrote it and who were they writing to, because they weren't writing to you. They were writing to somebody real. But then there's those moments where you're reading Ezekiel's vision and you feel your heart start to burn and go, God, I want to see you like that. That's where the spirit of God is taking the word of God and illuminating it. Making it real and applying it to the soul of a man or a woman who weren't there, wasn't there, but now is now reading the very things that God did. I want your hearts to burn today. I want you to be like, I want to see and treasure God like that. Because some of you are a lot like Ezekiel. You don't feel like you have a lot of purpose. He was a priest, now he can't be a priest because he doesn't have a temple. You're like, what's my purpose? What's my calling? Every calling missionary I've ever met starts with a vision of God. A bigger view of God than anything else. What makes men and women go to dark places to maybe lose their lives or just go off into nothingness? Well, a vision of God that says serving Him's worth more than anything. So Ezekiel chapter one. We're gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna read it. I'm not gonna talk a bunch. We're gonna let it sit. We're gonna do communion. We're gonna worship in response. You might repent. You might worship. You might be like, I'm changing. My focus on my life will let the word do what it does. Ezekiel chapter one. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chebar River, Jabar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoshaphat. I can't, I'm not gonna try. I'll pause one moment. These are real people, correct? Like Ezekiel's a real guy, flesh and blood. He's not like non-human. And all these people that are sitting by this river in exile are real people, right? Moms, dads, kids, life's to do. They got to eat. They got to sleep. They got to go to the bathroom. Real people. And then God does a thing, and all of a sudden you have a man who's a priest who's kind of bemoaning the fact that he's in exile and doesn't have a role going, I see the Lord greater than I ever have. And I bring this up because like even in James 5, James makes a really big point to say that Elijah and Elisha and these prophets were men and women just like us. And they prayed and it didn't rain. And so I would say the same thing to you. Ezekiel was a prophet of the Old Testament, so he's a little bit of a different category. But it's still the same God. And it's still the same God that's pursuing men and going, do you want to see what I'm like? Let me show you. Verse 3. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar River. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now that phrase is the phrase. The hand of the Lord was on him. And when you see that phrase in the Old Testament, it always is referring to the judges, the prophets, the kings. And what it means is literally the spirit of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the strength of God has been placed on him. And I'm gonna, it's almost like a grabbing and I'm going to snatch you up and show you some things and do some things through you. Now, here's the thing. Has that ever happened to you? And you could say yes. It's happened to me where I was like been so gripped. And I'm not talking like I had a vision by K-Bar River. I don't even know what that is. I'm saying there's these moments. Have you ever had that moment where your heart's so inflamed? You're so in love. You see, I usually, right about the first year of being saved. You ever met a new Christian? I love them so much. Everything is, Jesus is amazing. Everything is new. Oh, I'm a new creation. Did you know that? And I'm like, I did know that, but I forgot that. This is the, the hand of the Lord is upon him there. And so God snatches a man, And then shows the man what he's like, verse 4. As I looked, and once again, I believe this is internal in the spirit of the man. Behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. So, picture this. You and I, we just prayed a prayer. God, do whatever you want. I want to see you how you are. You're in your bedroom tonight. All of a sudden, you see a storm come with flashes of lightning, bright fire, and then a four winged faced creature shows up singing glory to God. And then, what's about to happen is there's some wheels, and they're rolling. And I'm not even going to read that part because that's where it gets confusing. But this is what you have to know. Ezekiel's sitting there probably being like, what is happening? (laughs) And typically when we think about seeing God, you think when you die, you're just going to walk up and be like, what's up, bro? But I think it'll be much more like this. I think it'll be much more like, like something I've never seen, more beautiful than I've ever seen. And in fact, when you read description of God's, of God in the Bible, I believe they always fall short because they're using human language. And, and what I mean is you're going to hear him say in these next verses, he's going to say it had the appearance of this. It, was, it had the likeness of this. Because he's having a hard time looking at it and going, I've seen that on earth. He's looking at it and going, all the human language I have can't explain how beautiful, powerful, worthy, the glory of God. I can't explain it. So we're going to skip over the wheel part. I would say you probably read it if you're in the reading plan. There's these wheels. There's going to be wheels in heaven. There you go. There's the application. Verse 26. these creatures come in the storm and it says and above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance hmm who could that be on a throne in a heavenly vision with angelic creatures with wheels full of the spirit like what what's going on who's on the throne and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow, a rainbow, that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness. All around, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell, fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. So we'll just pause, like time out there for a second. You see all that? That happens tonight. Like that, in 20 minutes, you're gonna meet that God. Are you excited still? Because there's a lot of fire There's a lot of like glowing, some glowing metal. And he's kind of looking at this like, I mean, like bright, holiness, glorious God. And he's going, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a rainbow with sapphire. It's kind of like someone put fire in a bottle and it's glowing and burning inside. But I don't, I can't quite, I can't explain it to you. He's amazing. And so here's Ezekiel. He's stuck in Babylon. He's watched his people be carted off into exile. Not a whole lot of hope for the future, not a lot on the horizon other than sitting next to a river with other exiles and going, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's sit here. And then God, out of his goodness, visibly manifests his glory. He goes, I'm going to show you what I'm like, and then I'm going to tell you what to do. And some of you have been begging, God, tell me what you want me to do. But the first step to that is see what he's like. Behold him, see him, be with him, be in awe of him, love him more than you love anything on earth. Then you can, I promise you, you see what God's like, you'll, you'll, there's a commissioning that comes with that. But first step is, Ezekiel, I, I think, is just like, God, I, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't even be a priest anymore. And the priests, they had daily work to do. They're cutting throats off animals. That's a little graphic, but they're, they're doing the duties of priests. They're doing the temple duties. They're doing the sacrifices. They're cleaning up after the animals. They're doing all the work that is required to worship God. And now that's taken from him. And he doesn't know what to do until God speaks to him. And then here's the question. What effect in seeing that does it have on Ezekiel? What effect do you see in his life? And it says, when I saw it, I fell face down. He is overcome by this is more valuable than anything you are more valuable than my dignity you are more valuable than even my circumstances in fact what's he not looking at anymore he's not looking at Babylon he's not asking where to go he's not asking he's not is me anymore he's not even aware that he's even at by a river at this point it's not even his career his priestliness his ability to hear God is gone because he's staring at the one that he needs And this this is the posture of worship. I think he assumes the posture of worship. And whenever I talk about postures of worship, people kind of get mad at me because they're like, don't tell me how to worship. I'm not telling you how to worship. I'm telling you when people see God, this is how they worship. Ezekiel sees God. What does he do? Falls down. John sees God in Revelation. What does he do? Falls down. The temple is full of the glory of God. And what do the priests do? Fall down. It's just like, it's just like, God's here. What, what position should we do? Assume the position, right? That, it just seems like when you see this God, it's not even about the physical posturing. It's my heart can't stand in his presence. My, I just want to worship him. This is a people that see God. This is a people that hold him as most holy and worthy. And I can I I actually have more examples in the scriptures of when people see God They they kneel down, they bow down, they prostrate, they go, woe is me. There's this thing that I I, want to be a people that unapologetically go, I want to see God. I want to behold him. And when I talk like this, everyone's like, oh, you'll you'll see him in heaven one day. Well, I want to see him in the land of the living. And I think that I can. And I think it starts with, okay, God, you did this with Ezekiel, and I see what you're you're like, and I can even read it and understand it on a point in my head. Like I could tell you what the wheels did, and I could tell you what those creatures were like, and I could tell you that his throne was kind of like sapphire. It had the likeness of a rainbow. I tell you all that because I just read it. And then there's these moments, and that's what I think God wants to do today, where we sit and we go, God, I see what your word says and I want you to make it a reality in my heart. I want to see uh, Holy Spirit illuminate the Word of God that I might see correctly who you are. Therefore, I will live out of that. If you're staring at God, you are not afraid of people. If you see God right now, you'll be like, "It's time to go to Africa and be a missionary. I'll be like, yep. If you see God right now, you won't care where you work. If you see God right now, you will love, serve, and be full of joy. Why? Because he's the best thing and the source of all that stuff. Except too often we come and we go, hey, preacher man, tell me some fun fact. And I go, well, is God here? Ask him. And I just want to rededicate today. We're going into Ezekiel for the next three or four weeks. I'll give you all the historical facts. We'll break down Greek or Hebrew words if you want. But today there's those moments where you go, okay, God, I see that your word shows me that you are bigger, better, holier, and worthier than I might've come in knowing. And I just read the word of God to you, right? We call it the word of God. And you saw that God is holy. He's different. He's other. He's separate. If you come into his presence, the only thing a man, as far as I can tell scripturally, does is fall down and goes, I'm not worthy. You're worthy. So is there sin that you need to repent of? If God is holy and Jesus died to make you that way, did the way that you live this week declare holiness? And if not, reading Ezekiel should make you go, woe is me, forgive me of my sin, I confess them, cleanse me. Really, that's simple. I think the second thing is, you see the majesty of God in Ezekiel 1. And when I say majesty, have you ever sat, like, ever stood, some of you are dumb, so you stand on the edge of big cliffs and you like to look down. I'm not a big fan of dying. I didn't mean to call you dumb. Sorry. Some of you are a little silly. Better? What I mean is, have you ever stood on the side of a big, 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 big cliff? And you, you know that feeling of like, Whoa, that, majesty, but like this much of it. You stand in front of God. In fact, you have seven minutes of that 20 minute timeline before God shows up. And he shows up and it's majesty, but like majesty. There's nothing like him. I can't, I can't explain Him to you. We run out of words. You understand that the prophets are using the best words they know, and they still are like, it's kind of like this, but I can't even explain it. He's kind of like this, but it's kind of like a rainbow, but it's not. And so the majesty of God produces one thing in a human soul, worship. And we always think worship is body position and song, but worship is I will live the direction of my life this way. Not this way. Not this way, not this way, this way. So if I asked you, did you worship this week? Did you worship? I'm not asking, did you kneel down at 12 o'clock every day in your living room? Although that would be appropriate for who he is. Did you worship God for who he's worth in the supermarket, in class, when you woke up? Because this is, this is the magic, this is the glory, this is the weight, this is the beauty, this is the all-encompassing. I, can't, I run out of words, I can't even explain it. And that's why I'm like, I can't teach them this, God. And I think that's why he was like, just read my word. I can't teach you the majesty of God. I can't teach you the holiness of God. But I've been in rooms where God came and applied that to my heart. And I was like, God, will you apply that to the hearts of call some? Will you make us aware of how beautiful, big, and worth you are of every drop of my life? And when I talk like this, people are like, well, you're going to waste your life. I'm like, waste my life on what? Everybody in here, you are wasting your life on something. Did you realize that? You will spend your life on something, and I'm choosing him. That's the declaration because I think that's the last thing. When you see the glory of God... And I mean the fullness of who he is and you are made aware and it's not a knowledge thing. It's like a, my heart burns within me. I have to worship right now. He's so good. It makes you go, I want to live different. So if you came in today in all this talk of the glory of God and all this talk of missionary callings, you're like, I just, I just want to be a simple guy that goes to work, provides for my family, loves God, comes to church. I'm telling you, when you see who he is, it fills all that normal life with heavenly life. And that's what you were made for. You might see God. He might. You know, you know what I want you to do, Bill? I want you to work hard. I want you to love your family. And I want you to serve me. But then all that moment of at the kitchen sink with the wife is full of the glory and the knowledge of the glory of God. So don't, don't hear me. I'm not saying everybody in here needs to be like, quit my job tomorrow, hun. Andrew said I am supposed to, not the sermon. I'm saying I want to behold God with you. I want to make it a a posture of our heart that we would spend this morning going, God, we'll respond to your word appropriately. So if you're not walking in holiness, I'm going to ask you to repent here in a second. If you've given your life to what Jesus died to free you from, he can free you from it today. We're going to do business with God. We're going to stare at him. And if you're like, what am I staring at? You can just read Ezekiel 1 over and over for the rest of the day. Maybe some of you, you came in here, and I'm just going to challenge you to worship harder and more free than you ever have. I want you to declare along with those weird angel creatures and really all of heaven and earth that he's worthy. There's something about joining that song that frees the soul of men and women. I think what it is, it's like a spud bar. You know what a spud bar is? Anybody? Great. The three dudes in the room were like, sorry women, you might know what a spud bar is too. It's like a, a big long pole, really heavy, it's taller than I am. One end is like a round head and then on the other end is like a chisel point. And you use it to like break out rocks when you're like putting in decks or like just, you can do anything with a spud bar, break ice, break heads, you can do anything. Um, and the picture of using the word of God like a spud bar came in my mind this morning. And some of you, your hearts, they're hard like rocks. And the reason they're hard is because you're on the throne of it. And so you read Ezekiel, and you know who's on the throne? Who's on the throne in Ezekiel? God is. Who's on the throne in Revelation 4? God is. Who's the only being in existence in Genesis 1? God is. And so you take the word of God and you use it like a spud bar and you start hitting the throne of your heart and dislodging you and breaking down the idols and going, All right, spud bar, word of God, Jesus is better than money. Break that rock, break that idol. Jesus is better than comfort, break it. Jesus is better than me. Jesus is worth more. And you start to till up that heart of your, that soil of your heart. And you go, God, I'm installing you on the throne. And I'll worship you and you alone. But once again, I can't, I can't, I was like physical. I was like, I can't teach them enough to make this happen. And before you freak out, you're like, he keeps asking for visions. When you got saved, was that spiritual or physical? Was it spiritual or physical? Spiritual? Spiritual? So when you stood up to walk down the aisle to say the prayer, was it spiritual or physical? Oh, now we just got to keep right. Isn't it both? Yeah. But before you ever stood up, the Spirit of God said to your spirit, I'm going to save you. You're going to respond to me. I love you. Come to me. And then your physical body responded. In the same way, what's about to happen is a spiritual thing. The only way you are transformed right now is if the Spirit of God comes and does it. You can join in the work, you can read the Word, you can get up in the morning, you can discipline your body, you can fast, but you're just joining what God alone can do in the heart or soul of a man. Do you want God to change your heart? Do you want to see Him? And so the action is, if, if you're feeling this, I do want to see Him, I do want to worship, I do want holiness, then you need to Respond. And join the Lord in the work that he alone can do in your heart. And so we're going to celebrate communion, but we're going to do it differently. And I'm going to invite the band up, which is kind of an audible for first service. Because I just want to end in worship, repentance, response. And some of you, you're like, as soon as he says amen, I'm leaving. Great, have a good day. And I don't even mean that harshly. The rest of these moments are dedicated to the Lord which means if you are feeling led to confess your sin, please come and confess them. But when you walked in, you were given a, a little thing of, for communion, a prepackaged communion vessel. And normally what we would do is we would take that together and we would do it all at the same time. But today we're gonna do it a little bit individually, but really we're eating a meal with the Lord. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he, he gets all his people together and he has a meal with them. And it's wine and bread. It's actually a full meal, which I never really understood why we only do like, why don't we do a full meal right now? That'd be great, right? But wine and bread. And he breaks this bread and he hands it to his disciples and he says, take this and eat this and do this in remembrance of me. Now, what's he talking about? Well, a couple of days later, he's on a cross, dying, breathing his last breath, then put into a ground, the ground for three days. And on the third day, he rises again. Now it makes sense. When you eat this, remember my works, remember my word, and remember my death and resurrection. So you're declaring, I believe and I remember the death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that might save your lives. And then likewise, he takes this cup of wine, and he drinks it, and then he hands it to them, and he says... Take this. This is the cup of the new covenant in, I bought for with my blood. So now you have bread, body, wine, blood. All on the cross, broken body, poured out blood. Resurrected Jesus. So now when we get together and we take this meal, it's not a little thing. It's not just a like, hey, let's, it's not, it shouldn't even be done them lightly at all. It's a weighty recommitment almost. It's like a marriage re-up. It's like committing vows again. Like, Lord, I covenant with you by your blood and your work that I want my heart to be what you paid for. So expel idols, break down other lovers, show me what you're like. And so when you take communion today, I'm going to invite you to do a couple things. Number one, when you get that wafer out, and it's a little plasticky, I can't help it, but it is. I want you to break it. And then I want you to bring to mind what Jesus did. Think about it. Dwell on it. Meditate upon what the work of the Lord is. And declare that, Lord, I believe that by your broken body, you saved me from sin. Don't go fast on this. This is like, this is like if you were sitting down... Time to meet with Jesus, actually. When I said 20 minutes, we're about there. This meal, and I know it's not a big meal, this drink of juice and this little wafer, if you were sitting down with Jesus, I'd want to make it last as long as possible. I just want to sit with him. I want him to be like, God, you see anything in here that shouldn't be in my heart? Do you see anything in my life that you'd like to remove? And so here's my challenge. I don't actually want you to take communion in your seat today. We're going to worship, and when you're ready to take communion, there's a couple things you could come do. Number one, I just want you to come up front and kneel at some point, and maybe just come up front. I just want you to make this action of, like God, I'm going to come up, and I'm either going to repent of my sin, I'm going to worship, and then I want you to take communion. You can go back to your seat. You can have a great day. I don't care. I just felt like that was something we were supposed to do. It's putting physical action Behind a spiritual move in our hearts And so maybe that leads you to just sit here the rest of the morning and worship at Jesus' feet Maybe that leads you to one of our prayer teams and say I have a sin that I've never told anybody But I'm going to tell you because I'm going to trust that God's going to remove it from me forever Or maybe you're in here and you're like I want to help I need help changing what I've given my life to I want to refocus my life so no matter where you are in this room, there's work to be done with God, 100%, because I have work to do, you have work to do. It's all a work in progress, amen? So let me pray, and then I'm gonna say, church, you're free to stand in worship, to respond to the word, to sit down and weep and go, God, I wanna see you like Ezekiel. I've been praying that all week. I wanna see God. I wanna stare at him. So Jesus, we love you. And I thank you that you first loved us. And so I just, we just respond to your word. There's no place that I would rather be than right here, right now. Having heard your word and allowing your spirit to change my heart and my soul. And so we come to take this communion, this remembering, and we declare that the death, body, and resurrection of Jesus Christ freed us from all guilt and shame. And that if we've been living the wrong direction, you just say, turn, come to me, and I will make you clean. And so we respond. We do not sit back. We respond. We respond to your word. We respond to your spirit. We respond right now. And so church, I'm going to invite you to respond. The rest of the morning is the Lord's. Stay as long as you like. Worship. Repent. Change how you live. Jesus is worth it.
3: In the glory of your presence.
0: And today's the last day for you to sign up for that. So there are some of these left on the seats, that code there. You can sign up using that, flashlight on your phone. You can meet me at the info kiosk after second service, and I can help you get signed up. But today is the last day to sign up for the Converge workshop. There is another way that God gives us encouragement, gives us endurance, gives us the ability to live in harmony with one another, and that is each other. And so I want to remind you all that next Sunday, after both second and ser- first and second service, we're going to have our Connect groups launch for the fall. And I tell you, a year ago, for the first time uh, in a while, my family decided to make a Connect group, a small group, a priority in our lives for the whole year. And uh, us and seven other families started meeting on Friday nights and it has been life-changing for our whole family. They're the ones that we can share prayer requests to that are heavy and personal. They're the ones that we can show up at each other's games, whether it's soccer or football. They're the ones that we can ask the hard questions. The Bible says this, but how do you live it out? They're my people. And I want you to have your people, the people on your shortlist that you can call and share prayer requests with, The people who know you and just look at you and know when life's not okay. The ones that give you great hugs and everything is different because of that. So please consider being part of a connect group this fall. The leaders will be out in the atrium. You'll be able to meet them, figure out when the groups are going to meet, what they're going to study. But that will take place after both services next Sunday. So plan on signing up for a connect group. And finally next sunday night it's a really busy weekend at church next sunday night is our next family dinner now when family dinners started a couple years ago the whole intent of family dinners was to bring together the members of the church to have like a family meeting the way like mom and dad would when you were growing up you'd sit around the table and talk about the really important things that you needed to talk about talk about the things that were coming up in family life well then when COVID hit and we couldn't meet for a while We wanted to, in the midst of starting to meet again, just rebuild community. And this year, family dinners have been a lot of that, just letting us get back together. Well, starting with the next family dinner, which will be next Sunday evening, we're gonna move back towards the original intent of family dinners. So it's going to still be dinner where you just bring your own, whether it's a box of cereal or McDonald's or something totally different. So bring your own dinner but then the elders and the pastors are going to be here to share with us what's going on in the life of the church. What are the really important things you need to know? What are the changes that are being made? So that's going to be next Sunday evening at six o'clock. So lots of things to put on your calendar, all for next weekend. And finally, speaking of next weekend, I'm sure you all heard this week Oxford reinstituted the mask mandate. If you know all the details about that, there is a religious exemption. Where religious services, it's not required to have that mask on. However, when our elders got together, they wanted to also make sure that they were loving and honoring everybody. And there are still people right now that feel like they need to have that space to have a surrounding of people also wearing masks. So starting next week during the 9 a.m. service, that will be the service where masks are asked for, where we're asking people to wear masks. So if that's you, if you're sitting here today and you say, I'd really rather sit in a service where everybody has those masks on, that will be our 9 a.m. service starting next Sunday. If you have any questions about that, I know the elders would be more than willing to talk to you about that. Uh, But anyways, that's what's coming up in the life of the church next weekend. Andrew will be out in just a second with a sermon.
1: The book of Ezekiel was written by the prophet Ezekiel between 593 and 565 BC, addressing the nation of Israel during their exile in Babylon. Ezekiel is a captive living in Babylon when God's glory appears to him and raises him up as a prophet. Speaking on behalf of God, Ezekiel calls out Israel for breaking their covenant promise and warns them of the resulting consequences. He likens Israel to a rebellious wife one whom God raised up from nothing and in return whored herself into corruption and idolatry, abandoning the love and provision of the Lord. Looking past their current exile, Ezekiel prophesied a valley scattered with dry, brittle skeletons, an image of Israel's spiritual state. God breathes life into the bones and they stand up, growing flesh and tendons and living once again. As depicted in Ezekiel's parable, God will remain faithful to his covenant promise and restore the Jewish nation into a new people with new hearts set apart for his glory.
2: Check, one, two, Yep. hi. My name's Andrew, Andrew David Holsworth. I'm 38 years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, about 5'10". I like to say 5'10", because 5'9 feels small. I don't know why I gave you that information, but I wanna welcome you to this family. We really are a family. And uh, I just get to be one of the leaders that gets to talk to you. So if you have a Bible, open up to Ezekiel chapter 1. You probably need some time to find that. If you don't have a Bible, there's some along this wall. Open up the Word of God. We're a church that wants to be taught by the Word and led by the Spirit of God. And to start today, I'm going to ask two questions, and you can can yell answers at me. I actually like feedback these days. We are that church. If God showed up, okay, 20 minutes, I'm going to put a timer, God's going to show up. Are you nervous? Yes or no? Yeah? And why? Now, yes, because you should be because he is amazing and holy and like burning with fire. There's a lot of things going on with God, right? Uh, But here's the answer. If you're like, yeah, I'm nervous because of how I lived my life this past week. If everything should change when you meet him, why don't we change it today? Amen? Amen. So if you're here and you're like, man, I need to make some changes, welcome to a church that believes God can change anything. And I don't care if you stumbled in from Brick Street last night on a bender, Jesus is better and can change that into something beautiful. I'm not leaving line. I don't care where your background is, I don't care what you struggled with, Jesus is greater than any sin, any demon, any disease, anything. And we want to declare that over you this morning. So if you're nervous, and I'm a little nervous, at. 19 minutes, God's going to show up, all right? And the second question, what's he look like? What's he look like? And, and if I go with like a couple of paintings I've seen on walls, he's white, blonde hair, blue eyes, a beautiful man, blue sash. You know that, you know that picture? So number one, that, that's not what Jesus looked like, okay? He was probably closer to black, just to be honest, like an Arab. But what's God look like? If in 20 minutes the God of heaven and earth showed up, manifested, I mean, made tangible the realities of the kingdom of heaven in this room, what's it look like? And I've asked that question a lot, and people are always like, well, I think there'd be some smoke, maybe. We're going to read Ezekiel. Ezekiel sees God. And now normally when we talk about what's heaven like, we go to Revelation chapter 4. I've heard that my whole life. We read Rev Rev 4, Revelation 4, and it's like the throne and there's these eyeball creatures and we're all like, "That's weird." It is weird, but I think heaven's going to be weird for some of us. I think some of us we're going to show up to heaven and we think we're going to walk up and be like, "What's up, God?" Instead, I think that thing's going to be like, "Ah! That's what heaven. Like joyful screaming, okay? And as, as I was, that's, that sounds joyful, doesn't it? Um, and as I was praying about today, and I am really, we pray about what we speak about. We pray, Kristen prays about her announcement. She told me that before she came over. We pray, and I was like, Lord, how do you want me to teach this today? Because here's what I know. I can't teach in a way that will so, I mean, I can't change your soul. I can't change your spirit. I can't touch that part of you. Only the spirit of God can. So I can tell you about the holiness, beauty, majesty, and worth of God, but only God can give you the revelation of that to your heart. And so as I prayed today, I feel like the Lord was like, I want you to do it a little different. Now, different does not mean bad. Did you hear me? Different's not bad. What I felt like God wanted me to do was to read the word of God and then let it sit. Just let it be. And you're like, what do you mean? So typically you walk into a A place like this, you've probably been in church a lot of you your whole life, and a guy like me gets up and you're like, come on, give me some profound thoughts. Give me some tweetables, you know? Give me something that I can go, mmm, that's good. Give me that, you know? But what do we call this? And how did we get this? Uh, Ezekiel, the spirit of the Lord rested upon this man, and he went and spoke with God. He's a prophet of God. And then he writes it down, I believe, by the leading of the Spirit of the Lord. So when we read this, we are reading the very thing that God wants us to read. What else would I add to that? Why would you want me to talk when we can hear the Lord? And I just want you to take that perspective that we really believe the Word is sufficient and I really believe we're going to read this word of the Lord today, Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm going to read it. I'm going to talk less than I ever have. Because typically, I'm supposed to talk 30 minutes and I talk 45 because that's, I'm working. I'm working in progress. Amen. I'm really going to try to just read the word of the Lord over you and then challenge you to do something with it. Because when you read this and when you see this, uh, I think it demands a few things. Ezekiel sees God, and we're going to see what God is like. And when you see what God is like, you see how holy he is, which then demands if you've not been living holy this week, you need to repent. That's not a cuss word. That's not for the bad Christians. I repent every day of my life. It is an, it's an amazing thing that the king of heaven and earth goes, if you confess your sins to me, I'll forgive you. So you know what I do every day? Which ones do I get to confess? All of them. I want them all out. I wanna confess them all, I wanna repent of them all, I wanna turn from them all, because Jesus makes them all new. When you see what God is like, you're going to watch Ezekiel worship. And we will need to respond to seeing God, and I'm praying, I've actually been praying this week, and I gotta explain it, but I've been praying that we would have a vision of God. I'm gonna explain that, because some of you are like, vision? (laughs) Uh, Calm down. Ezekiel is sitting next to a river, in exile, he used to be a priest and I say used to be because the priest had a temple and the only way you can be a priest is if you have a temple but that got torn down because God said it would in Jeremiah which we just got out of that book and now they're in exile, he's in Babylon, doesn't have a lot of prospects, not a lot of priestly duties, not a lot of animals to sacrifice and things in Babylon and he's sitting there with some other exiles I would assume going like woe is me, what am I supposed to do with my life? When are you going to tell me what to do? Towards God almost? Some of you are there. But what I've found is every missionary I've ever talked to, every commissioner, commission sent one of the Lord, it started with one thing. They got a picture of God bigger than anything else in their life. Jim Elliott, do you know that name? So he was a missionary. He went and got killed by some native people. It started with one thing God's worth every part of my life. Why? Because when you see God, that is the direct, direct, like, heralding of a human heart. Wow, I'll give him everything. Wow, I'll worship like I never have. Or, wow, and this is where I started with that question. We are now 15 minutes till God shows up. Wow, I want to live my life differently. So if you're, you're direct, like you said it out loud, you confess. I wanna live my life differently today, I think we're gonna see God. And then I hope we live differently. I hope we worship differently. I hope we repent, like it's our job because we get to do it with joy. And so when I talk about visions, I, I'm not even actually, I, I'm fine with that actually. I'll say this, visions from God still happen today. They really do. And they weird us out. We're in a Western Americanized version But if you go anywhere overseas, Jesus is like showing up in visions and dreams to the Muslims like by the thousands. There's just this rumor of the man in white, the man in white's Jesus, and they're dreaming about him. And then they go and find a Christian and they go, who's the man in white? And it's almost like the the, the men can't go because they'll get murdered by the Muslims, but the Holy Spirit can't be stopped. And he's going to have a, Ezekiel's going to have a vision of the Lord. And so I'm like, Lord, give us a vision of you. Make us a people that have, and I don't even mean like supernatural, trance out. You can't make yourself have a vision. There are religions that, that do that. They do LSD and then they're like, and they try to like tweak out. We are not those people. All right? Just to be real, real clear. You can't make the God of the Bible do anything. But you can join him and be like, God, I want to see you. I want my heart, not just my mind. Like, we're going to read this. And some of us, we've read this like seminary Bible text. Like, I can tell you the facts. I can tell you the history. I can tell you when it was written, and I can show you a map on a map. I could show you where it was sitting when he wrote it. None of that changes your heart unless the Spirit of God comes in and illuminates the Scripture and goes, this is true. This is who I am. That's what I've been praying for. That today would mark a moment where you and I go, I don't want to look at anything else. I want to look at him. I don't want to do anything else. I want to look at him. I, I want to be the people that go, God is really worth, I'm not wasting my life on. And here's the thing. Everybody in here, you're wasting your life on something. We are giving our life to something. You're pouring your energy and your life onto something, and I want to pour it on him. And I wanna give you permission to do the same. So I gotta stop talking, because I said I wasn't gonna talk, but I just got talking. So. so I don't mean, man, Lord, give them a, an experience. I mean, give by the, through the word of God, by the spirit of God, a revelation to the souls of cobblestone, the beauty of God. If you see God, you will live different. You will. You'll go die for him You'll go serve for him. You might just go raise kids quietly for him, but it'll be full of the kingdom of God and its power. If you look at God. So in Ezekiel chapter one, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read it real slow. I'm only gonna break it down a couple times. And like I said, I'm gonna let it sit. I'm gonna let it sit and I'm gonna say, respond to the word of the Lord. Ezekiel one. In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar River, or canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth day, it was on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King the I bring all these points up in the front half of our Bible studies. These are real people, right? Like flesh and blood, men and women, kids, sons, daughters, husbands, responsibilities, probably worrying about what he's gonna eat next. You do that too? And what happens to this man is is not something that is exclusionary from us. Now, he's an Old Testament prophet. They're in a little bit of a different league than us. But we have the Spirit of God in us, which means if God gives visions there, he can do it now. And I know that ruffles some of you, but that's just biblical fact. That's not even, like, charismatic expression. That's biblical fact. I want to see God, and he's the one that's got to open my eyes to him. That's just how it works. And so you have real people, and I say real people because like in James 5, James makes a big deal, and he goes, Elijah was a man like you and I. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. Like this, the Bible's trying to make the point that don't put them in a category that you can't touch. You can know God. You can walk with God. You can hear God. You can follow God. You can get visions from the Lord. You can have the eyes of your heart enlarged and have a revelation of the beauty of God and then go do something that only you could do because God put you on earth for that. That's a different sermon. Great. Real people, real places, real questions. I believe Ezekiel sitting there going, I used to be a priest. What am I now? But notice it doesn't start with, Ezekiel, go do this thing. It says, it starts with, Ezekiel, look at me. Look at God. You don't have to worry about what to do if you're looking at him. Look at the Lord. Verse 3. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, Buzi? in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar Canal, and the hands of the Lord was upon him there. I love, that's the most profound statement of that whole sentence, the hand of the Lord was upon him, and I think as I know a few of you in this room, you ever had that moment where God put his hand on you, and you were like gripped almost, typically though, this is what happens, we get saved, and I love baby Christians, I love new Christians, so if you're a new Christian, I love you, if you're old Christian, I don't like you, just kidding, Uh, I love baby Christians because they're like, I'm a new creation, you're a new creation, and I'm like, yeah right but no yeah they understand it on a level they're just excited about it and so listen to me like the hand of the Lord is upon this man and then usually when we talk about the hand of the Lord it's talking about the spirit resting on a person almost snatching him up to show him something and there have been moments in my life where the God was more real and tangible than anything else I want to live there this half doubting half in the world half out I don't I don't want that I want to live as a people who go, God, put your hand upon us. Do what you want to do. And typically when you see the hand of the Lord, it's talking the spirit of the Lord was on that man for that season. That's all the prophets. That's how it reads. But us, as a New Testament people, the spirit's not just on us. The spirit's in us. But we'll preach that when we get to Joel 2. Great. Verse 4. As I looked. Behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and a fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. So if you've read Revelation 4, you see the same thing, right? If you read Revelation 4 and you see the throne room of God, you got eyeball creatures, wing creatures, eagle creatures, there's lots of creatures. So here's the thing, I'm asking today, God, I want to see you. So let's say you pray that prayer with me today. God, show me, just show me what you're like. Let's say midnight tonight, in your bed, God shows up. You are wigging out. you right? Are you not? Because what you had in your mind was this tame, easy to manage, almost like you perception of God. But that's not what he's like. And so it says, as I looked, and I believe when it says, as I looked, he's not looking with his physical eyeballs. He's seeing something with his spirit, and he's going, as I saw this, there was this storm and fire, and then all of a sudden there was these creatures with wings, and they kind of had human faces. It was weird, right? If human face Winged eyeball creatures show up in your room tonight. I want to hear about it. <laughs> I do. I want to hear about it. And then what's going to happen, and I'm going to skip this part, he's going to start talking about these wheels and they're connected to the earth and the spirits in them. And it's just, it gets confusing because usually visions are. They're highly visionary and they're highly like, they're not really, a, anyway, we'll get into it later. But I would say this everything you're about to hear from verse 26 to 28 falls absolutely short of who God truly is. You're like, how can you say that? Because when the prophets talk about God, they always use language that's like, it kind of looked like, it had the appearance of, it had the likeness of, because human language can't contain God. Like, I can try to explain to you how perfect and holy and beautiful and good he is, but I will fall short because I will run out of language. And Ezekiel is going to run out of language. Every person that's ever seen God, so think about the prophets. Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, even John the Revelation guy, yeah, sees God. All of them use language like, it was so amazing. It was kind of like this, but it was nothing like that. I don't even know what to do. Can I sit down and cry now? Like, that's the language. So go to verse 26. We're going to read the 28, and then we're going to live this thing out, man hopefully. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal Like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of a rainbow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around him. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. This is the word of God. This is what God is like. So if he shows up in your bedroom, or you have a vision of your head one day, of you're gonna walk in, a it's just gonna be some white guy with a blue sash and blonde hair. I'm telling you, you're wrong. And some of you answered correctly when I said, when, if God shows up, well, seven minutes from now, you, you should rightfully be like, I'm not ready. I'm a little scared. I just wet my pants. Like that should be our response. Because uh, Ezekiel, the prophet, who didn't even ask for it, God goes, come here. I'm going to put my hand on you. I'm going to show you what I'm like. And he's like, it's kind of like fire. And there's some rainbows. And there's a thing that kind of looks like a throne. And there's a human guy. But he's burning like metal, like somebody shoved fire inside a metal. And it's glowing. And it's so bright. It's so bright. And so, hear me. Some of you have been begging. You're like, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. I'll do it. But your first step is Ezekiel's step, see God. You have to look at God, and then I'm telling you all the steps to what to do go into place when you see him. But here's what, I've, what I know, and I think this is why God was like, just read it and let it sit. I can't teach you it. I can't make your heart see him. So I'll ask a question I asked first service and it, I, they never really wanted to answer me. When you got saved, was that physical or spiritual? I got a both. I like it. I ain't mad at you. Anybody else want to? Both? Yes? No? Those are your options. So the moment... That you were in a service, probably like this, or at a youth camp, and there was an emotional fire guy, and he was playing, and whatever. Uh, and he said, you gotta come down here to Jesus. And you stood up and went down to say the prayer. Was that physical or spiritual? They don't, you want to you talk to me at 1030? Cool. I'll preach different then. Oh, I'm making it now? I'm just kidding. There's this moment where the Spirit of God came and said, I'm, I'm going to save you. God wants you now, and in your spirit you said, yeah. And then what happened is it manifested through your body and you joined the spirit in what God was doing and you stood up, you walked forward, and you said a prayer, which is only a prayer of faith because it was a response to what God was doing, offering you an invitation. So I can teach you where the Kebar Canal is, and I can teach you, this is what the glory of the Lord looks like according to Ezekiel but I can't get it into your heart. Only God can do that by the Spirit. So so there's these moments where I'm like, I don't have the ability, God. And he's like, no, you don't have the ability. Only I can do that. If they ask me, I'll do it. And so that's where I want to end today. I want to end asking as a people, Lord, show us who you are. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see you. I want this word, this in, oh, good word of God. I want it in me. I want it burning in me. I want to be like Ezekiel. And I know most of you, some, not most of some of you in this room are like, well, you'll see God one day in heaven. I want to see him in the land of the living. And I believe I'm invited to do that and ask that and not even be weird about it. And I just, can we get hungry again? You didn't figure God out. You don't got him pegged. He's not in a box. He's amazing. And when you see him, you're going to fall down. And in fact, look at, what is Ezekiel's response to all this? What does he do? When I saw it, I fell face down. Every person, as far as I can tell, and I've read the Bible a few times in my life, when they see God, they do one thing. You know what they do? They fall down. It's almost like there's like this unspoken, like, assume the position, and everyone just knows. When you see God, you're down. John in Revelation, he sees God, and what does he do? falls face down. Isaiah sees God. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm a, I live among a people, and he falls down. All of them. The glory of the Lord fills the temple, and all the priests fall down. Ezekiel sees the Lord, and it's like, assume the position. And so all of a sudden, Ezekiel, stuck in Babylon, in exile, All his priestly duties stripped from him because the temple is crushed. is not really worried about Babylon, temples, job descriptions, wealth, health, any of it. All of a sudden, he's enraptured. All of a sudden, he's like, nothing else matters except this. That's what I want for us, to be that people. To be enraptured, in love, to be, oh my gosh, our God is bigger than anything. And here's why. When you have a people that are content to stare at God, they're not afraid of people. They're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of anything. When a people look at God, they actually live according to who he is, not who they are. But when a people look at them and go, our God's kind of like us, just a little bit smarter and a little bit, more. no, our God is way above and way holier, and way more beautiful, and way more, wor- more worth my time than I give him some days. And so once again, what are you going to waste your life on? Because some people will tell you, like, hey, you give your life to fit, you're just wasting your life because your body's going to waste away one day. Some people will tell you, like, I- I'm not saying this is all, like, you're going to see God today, and then you're going to go live some radical life in some third world country. I'm saying it might be some of you are called to live quiet lives, raise good godly kids, go to work, provide for your family, and worship the Lord wherever you are. That's your calling. But you're going to look at God, and all of a sudden, you're, all those mundane moments around, around the kitchen sink at work are going to be full of the glory of God. That's, I want to live that. And so Ezekiel assumes this position of worship, and all. I'll speak on that because every time I talk about the posture of worship, people get mad at me, almost like I'm, I'm judging their worship style. I could care less what your body's doing during worship. But I know God sees your heart. And as far as I can tell, the biblical position for seeing God in worship, I, I, you want me to go farther? That is the biblical position so I don't care if you, that's what you assume here in a second, but that's what Ezekiel does. That's what every person does that sees God. And so I got, I'll just do it this way. I, I believe Ezekiel was ready to hear from God after he saw God. We have to see God, and then I'm not too worried about what he tells me to do, because I'll be like, yes, let's go do that. But first, first step, sit at his feet be hungry enough to be like, God, I wanna see you. I don't want just knowledge, I want revelation. I want the eyes of my heart to be open to the understanding of the revelation of the beauty of God. And so here's the, here's the thing I wanna do. If we read this and we respond to it, I, th- I think there's three things. You, you look at God and you immediately notice he's holy. He's, I mean, the holiness of God is just exuding off of him, which is all that light and all that fire and all that otherness. God is not like us, he's other. A lot like the sun. If you get into the presence of the sun right now, what happens? Nothing, you're just gone. Same with God. Other in moralness, other than in goodness, other than glory, everything that he is, he's holy. If you have not been living a holy life this week, Jesus died to make you holy. If you haven't been living in holiness this week, you need to repent. You need to say, God, I'm sorry that I didn't honor you here or here or here. You need to come back to Jesus and go make me clean clean, and then turn back into holiness. Once again, repentance is not a cuss word. We get to. Some of you are walking around dirty and beaten up and almost condemned, but Jesus isn't the one condemning. Jesus is the one inviting to clean. But you're going, well, no, I'm going I'm to make this my identity. This sin struggles, my identity. No, Jesus is your identity. So if you're looking and you're like, God is so other and beautiful and holy, and you realize that your life isn't, repent. That could be one of our responses today. Second one, when I say the word majesty, do you know what I mean? So if you've ever, I, the best analogy I know is if you've ever stood on the side of a great big cliff and looked down, do you know that feeling you get? Some of your hands just started sweating. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are just, I was going to say dumb, because you do this on purpose. Your mom's like, don't go near that. And you're like, that. All right? That feeling of like, oh no, I could die, is a little bit of majesty. Now you take God and then take majesty on that scale and then, brrr, that's who God is. And Ezekiel sees him and then he worships he actually steps into the first time in i think probably in his life to true worship nothing else matters god i'm not worried about these other exiles i'm not worried about the dirt i'm laying in i just want to i worship you and he assumes the position and so some of you you came in here today and you haven't wholeheartedly worshiped god all week now don't i'm not talking songs and i'm not talking body posture Some of you have said, God is the Lord of my heart. But you haven't worshipped him. You haven't talked about him. You haven't looked at him. You haven't sat with him. You haven't read a drop of his word. So you haven't worshipped him. You've worshipped you. And what the word of the Lord does today, uh, I treat it like a, everybody know what a spud bar is? Anybody know what a spud bar is? All the dudes in the room are like, spud bar? Spud bar is like a big metal pole. It's like this tall. One end has a big metal flat circle on top and the other end has like a chisel. The word of the Lord when you read stuff like this is like a spud bar for our hearts. Some of you, your hearts are hard. You're sitting on the throne of it and there's lots of idols bowing down to you. And what the word does is go, no, there is somebody on the throne. There is somebody worthy of all drop of your life. And it's like, you're not worthy of it. Money's not better than God. God alone will be worshipped. And the word comes in like a chisel and makes this fertile ground for the spirit of the Lord to make God the center of my heart, which is what you were made for, and to free you from all the stuff that you thought was going to give you life. That's what this scripture does. And so some of you, the end of this, here in a second, you just need to worship. You need to agree with scripture. There is one in heaven who's found worthy. There is one who's worth all my life and I will worship and I don't care what he thinks and I don't care what she thinks. God will be worshiped. There's something freeing about joining the song that's being sung in heaven right now. Did you know that there's a never ending song that's being sung in heaven? And some of you aren't excited about going to heaven because you're like, this is the song
4: that never
2: ends. It's better than that. To see God right now, I couldn't stop you from singing. If your heart actually had a realization of how worthy God is, you would be like, can you stop talking? I need to worship. So because we have a worship problem, we're not actually fighting to worship. I think we have a vision problem. We're not looking at the right stuff. And then finally, when he sees the glory of the Lord, he's going to see the manifestation of the glory of God. He's going to go do a thing for God. His focus of his life changes. And some of you, when I said, hey, if God shows up, in two minutes, would you have lived differently this week? Would you have watched so much Netflix this week? Would you have worried about the same stuff this week? And if our answer is, yeah, I absolutely would have lived differently, live differently. Live in light of this picture. Live in light of the glory, majesty, and holiness of God. Either live like it's true or just go on and live your life. Stop claiming Christ. But it is true. He is the Lord, he is worthy, he is holy, he is majestic, he is worthy not just to waste your life on but to spend every drop of it with him. That's biblical truth and so here's how we're going to respond. I'm just going to let you guys respond and we're going to respond with communion. We're going to respond with communion and worship and you doing a response to the Lord and it might be different for each of us because we're all in different spots. We're all works in progress, amen? And that's okay. And so when we talk about communion, I have to actually lay some, some groundwork on it because you can do it wrong. And there's even Bible verses that talk about when you do it wrong, you can get sick or even die. And you're like, ooh, that's serious, that's serious. So on the night before Jesus was betrayed, crucified, and resurrected, he gathered his people. Hello, people of God. And he got out bread and he got out wine. And so he takes this loaf of bread or this wafer of bread and he breaks it. And then he starts to eat it and then hand it out to them and go, when you get together, I want you to eat this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of my words, remembrance of my work, remembrance of my death, burial, and bodily resurrection. And remember that I'm alive. And so when you take this bread or that wafer, that plastic thing that's in that little thing you got there, and you eat it, you are saying, I remember and declare the death, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus paid for my sin. That's what you're yelling to the spiritual world, that I belong to Jesus. So it would not make sense if you don't belong to Jesus for you to be like, this magic bread is going to get me saved. It's not. Jesus is. Same night, Jesus grabs his disciples, he broke the bread, do this in remembrance for me, he gets out this glass of wine, and he drinks it, and he starts to hand it around the room, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, paid for by my blood, and where do you see broken body and poured out blood? The cross. And, he go, and I don't think it probably made sense to them the night that he did it. Like, what are you talking about, broken bodies and blood? But on that cross, they were probably like, ah. And then when he rose from the dead, they were like, oh, we will gladly eat this meal. We belong to Jesus. And what you're doing when you drink that is you're covenanting. It's like a marriage re-up. It's like a reavowing that I belong to God. That my heart, life, soul, worship, all that I am belongs to God. See how serious that is? So what we're going to do is we're going to give you ample opportunity to respond. And normally we would take this together. Normally we would all, like at the same time, do the bread and do the juice. Today I want you to eat a meal with Jesus. And you're like, not a great meal. But I think back then it was a full meal. But you're going to sit with Jesus. And here's my ask. As you take communion, if you take communion, and hear, hear me, some of you shouldn't. And that's Okay. Like, I'm not judging you if you're like, man, I can't, I can't, that's okay. But if you decide, I want you to bring your communion, you, no one else, and I want you to come up here to take it. And you're like, why? I just think there's something about a physical action of like, God, I'm going to come forward because I want to worship you. I'm going to come forward because I need to repent out of my mouth my sin. And you can kneel, you can stand, I don't care what it is, but we're going to do actually a physical thing with our bodies to say to God, I hear your word and I respond to it. And so you might come up, fall on your face and repent of your sin. You might come up, feel this leading. I got to tell the prayer counselor the sin that I've never told anybody else. I'm going to tell them today before God and man, I'm going to confess my sin. Some of you might need to just come up here and worship and abandon me. Some of you might need to come up here and go, God, from this day forward, I focus my life on you. But no matter what it is, all of us have work today. All of us have just heard the word of God and who God is, respond. Respond to him. Jesus, we love you. And so as we step into worship, the rest of this day, there's, it's not, we're not here for men, we're here for you. And I thank you that your promises are yes and amen, that the cross of Jesus Christ speaks a better word, that the blood of Jesus speaks pays for the sin of the earth. You are holy. You are worthy. You are holy. You are worthy. So, Father, I'll kneel where I kneeled last night. I pray for a vision of you. Open up the eyes of our heart. From the one who thinks they're far from you. From the one who's been here for 30 years. Open up our eyes to behold your wonders, your beauty, your majesty. I want to see you. I want to be a people fueled by a vision of God that's greater than any little dinky vision on earth. And would you come now, Holy Spirit, and release us. Like, free us from our sin. Free us from our guilt. Help us to worship with abandonment the one who gave everything. So God, we respond to you. You are not dead. Your hand is not short. You are the mighty one of heaven and earth. And Jesus, it was your joy to die for us. You took our sin. Come now, Lord, be the strong savior that you are. So church, I'm gonna leave you right there and I'm not gonna say goodbye. I'm just gonna say Right now, whatever God's putting on your heart, do it. Don't come back next week and be like, I should have lived differently this week. Don't come back next week and say, I should have worshiped God more with my life. Lord, we want to waste our life. We want to spend our lives on you. We want to know you. We want to be with you. We honor you. You are worth being hungry for. You are worth seeking. You are worth getting up early and going to bed late. You're worth more than all the pearls and gold of the earth. You're worth more. So before you come up to do communion, church, just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want? And then when you feel released by the Spirit of God, you come up and kneel, you come up and confess, you come up and worship, you come up and do whatever, or or don't. There's no rules. There's only a really real Savior that really wants to know you and set you free. Let's worship.
3: In the glory of your presence Forever.
4: For from you are all things, to you are all things, you deserve the glory.